0: It is undeniable that God has a, a vision that will keep us from perishing, amen, but there's a uniqueness to it. It's not because we're quality people, <laughs> it's the vision that God has given us, amen, and the devil knows what he, what he needs to hit at, Amen he knows what makes this unique and it's many faceted, but like brother, I just said, amen. I I think the one thing the devil cannot counterfeit, he can compel it, but he cannot counterfeit the unity and love amongst the people. Amen. Amen. You know, in, in, in second Corinthians, uh, Paul begins this entire, uh, uh, Paracope, an, an entire uh, uh, thought, and he, he begins by saying, we are the fragrance of Christ. God has made us the fragrance of Christ. Then he says, you are the epistles of God. I mean, the emphasis is, is r- right on what we're supposed to be, amen. We spread abroad the fragrance Men everywhere read the epistle, Paul says. Amen. Then he gets into this whole study of Moses and the veil. Amen. And, and, uh, and he talks about how Moses had to have a veil over his face because the people could not bear to look at the, the, the scripture says, bear at the end of that which was passing away. And the word there didn't mean the termination. It means the goal. It's telos. Amen. The goal was when he lifted up his face, he was radiant with the presence of God. And that's what was supposed to be shining forth. Then he goes right on and says, we all with unveiled faces reflect the glory of the Lord as we're being changed into the same image. Then he goes right on and he begins to talk about how The the minds, that Satan has blinded the minds of those who who he has charge over. And then he says, God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has caused the light to be in our hearts, it says, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. What's he saying in all of this? What has Satan blinded the eyes to? He's saying Satan, it isn't some abstract gospel, some doctrine, Acts 2.38 or something like that. He's saying he has blinded the same thing he said before. People could not look in Moses' face. He says their minds were blinded. What people, what Satan wants to do Is blind our eyes to our brothers and sisters and who they really are can we see the glory of God shining forth in 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 the faces of our brothers and sisters read those scriptures that's what you're gonna see Satan wants to blind us to something amen you read in Revelations 12 And it says that now the kingdom, the glory, and the salvation of our Lord has come for the accuser of our brethren has been cast out. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) The kingdom comes because the accuser of the brethren is cast out. When there is no (laughs) interpersonal accusation being worked through in the body, all of a sudden, the kingdom and the power is there again. It's it's making something. What Satan's up to is he wants to accuse the brethren. <laughs> he wants to somehow or another put some kind of veil between us and our brothers and sisters. He wants to fragment unity. Amen. He wants to make it to where. We don't feel the love and trust to the depth that we've got to have. Now, the thing is, what I'm saying is, that is the uniqueness of this body. I'm not saying it's perfect yet, but we do have something going on here. The, I, I think one of the most universal comments that people say when they come here is they can't believe the unity. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you read over, I'm going to try to really compact this. But when you read over in 1 Corinthians, uh, you read this place where this is where Paul talks about how I don't care if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Uh, he says, I don't even judge myself. Amen. He says, judge nothing before the appointed time. Don't Don't judge we know he has to be talking about a particular type of judgment. Amen. He's talking about judging from our own minds. Amen. Our own perspective. Amen. That's what he's, that's what he's trying to get across. We know that because the very next chapter is where he judges the man should be put out of the congregation and such. Amen. But uh, what we don't always see is that whole point that he's making about not judging from the carnal mind, not seeing things from the carnal mind, it's all encompassed in those first four chapters of 1 Corinthians. And what is the point there? He begins, it is reported by some of the house of Chloe that there are factions amongst you There's divisions amongst you. Some say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ, whatever. There is divisions in the body. That was his, that's the first three chapters. That's all he talks about is divisions in the body. Amen. And then right after those scriptures on judging, you know, where he says, I don't judge even myself, wait until the Lord comes. Wait until the spirit of God has illuminated your eyes and you're no longer seeing your brothers through the carnal mind, but instead you're seeing the light of the glory of God shining in your light and in the eyes of others, amen. Right, the very next verse is brethren, I have written these things and applied them figuratively, To Apollos and myself, because he's talked about all these factions. I'm of Apollos. I'm I'm of Cephas. I'm of Dan. I'm of Josiah. I'm of Ossie. I'm of Zach. I'm of whoever. You know, there can be these divisions there. That's his context. He said, so I have said all this about do not judge with human perspective. He says, I have done all this so that no one will puff themselves up on behalf of one against the other. His whole point is there is something that can fracture and bring factions into the body. And it's the carnal mind. It's the inability to see things through the spirit. It's the inability to love one another but instead, these little subtle things happen called accusations. And the word accusation in the Bible, in the Greek word is kategorizo, categorize. You make a snapshot judgment about something. And it stereotypes the person in your mind or the vision or the church. It doesn't have to be just individuals. It can be the patterns of the church. We can, we can make snapshot judgments on these things, amen, by our, our carnal mind, amen. And, uh, and all of a sudden, we've categorized somebody. We're no longer, or the vision or whatever, and, and uh, in categorizing, uh, it was Aristotle who actually did it. He changed the word to not only mean accuse, but also to reduce down to a very simplistic way of looking at things so that you could catalog them you could categorize them you're no longer looking at the person as being a person of life you're no longer looking at the faith and the the, the desire to serve god in there all of a sudden you've seen a slice and you take that slice you put it in a category uh, all of a sudden you think uh, this person is just that way and that's the way it is. And what Paul is saying is this is where factions come from. Amen. This is where division in the body comes from. Amen. Amen. We don't want to categorize one another. We don't want to categorize visions. We don't want to categorize what, what groups of us may be doing I I was thinking looking through the 50th anniversary book How easy it would be you start reading like what happened when after we built the building and all the trouble we had with the youth at that time And we had trouble (laughs) It was an earthquake Amen, and you read about that in the 50th anniversary Book and you can make a snapshot judgment of that Just a slice and say oh boy, well we know how to do that a whole lot better and look at this you know or or we can look at the the 501d and say look at the mistake here that was made we can go through and see mistakes and and let that become a subtle accusation in our minds amen that so, and and it, then it'll start all of a sudden that we we can we know how to do this better over here and that means we can look down on, on, on the others and you, you understand some of what I'm saying there. Amen. Amen. The one thing the devil cannot counterfeit is unity. Amen. And God is calling us to love one another deeply. The Bible does not say love covers up a multitude of sins. It says it covers a multitude of sin. If we can see one another, if we can see the vision of the church, if we can see that what came out of the mistakes that we've made in the past instead of categorizing and that, if we can see the faith that was there, the life that was there all along, what came out the other side was fantastic (laughs) it was better than ever it's like the pine cone that has to go through the fire in order for it to really sprout forth because there was life in there and that's what we want to see in one another's hearts amen is that brother or sister is it a person of faith is it a person of love amen amen (laughs) that love and faith amen it blinds me to a lot of the the failings that may be there amen amen The failings that I do see produce a burden in me to help them. It does not produce something that would put down or fraction, make factions come, come to pass. Amen. Amen. The other thing that Paul talks about in those first four chapters is the antidote. He said, the apostle Paul said, I didn't come to you with man's wisdom. I came in fear and trip. This is the apostle Paul. He meant it. He wasn't putting himself up above everybody and making snap judgments. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. He wanted to see the life. Amen. He wanted to see the faith. He wanted to see the love. Amen. 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 And that's what we all want to see in one another. Amen and then god will show and will will correct the needs that are that are in one another but it'll be in love and it will not puff one up either an individual or even a group of individuals it will not puff them up one against the other instead every trial every problem will weld us even closer together
1: amen i was just thinking how When we hear this, this categorizo, we can say in our hearts, oh, yeah, that's how I've been treated. But if that's what we're doing, we're categorizing in doing so. The only way to avoid that is to say, oh, God, have I treated someone that way? We cannot point out. We've got to let the word of God point in. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You know, when Brother Howard was speaking, I thought, how there's some mistranslations out there on that 2 Corinthians. So some of them will translate and say, the God who said light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's not actually in the translation. It's not in the original. It says, the God who said light shine out of darkness. So he's, making a, he's drawing a parallel here. Okay, he's saying the God who once talked to the darkness and brought light out of the darkness has done the same thing to us. Meaning he talked to the darkness of us and brought the light out of us. Do you understand? He's not saying he gave us, the God who said light shine out of darkness also gave us the, the awareness that Jesus had light or something like that. He's saying the God who said light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the world the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Next words, but we possess this treasure in jars of clay. So this is an allusion to um, Gideon in all likelihood, where he's got these jars of clay. It's the only time in the Bible that I'm aware of where a jar of clay has a light inside. And it's cracked open, and the light is revealed and terrifies the enemy. So he says, we possess this treasure of the light of God in the face of Jesus in jars of clay, in earthen vessels. Amen? <laughs> so that the surpassing greatness would not be from us, but from him. So it's from him, but it's through us. Now you look, you look in your Bible... And I I taught this the first time in 2016. But if you look in your Bible at light on face, and it's always glory. For the Hebrews, the light of God on someone's face was to say the glory was on their face. That is what it was. It was the visible glory of God. It was the glow of Shekinah, of the Lord. Amen? So, Moses has the light. Jesus goes to the Mount of Transfiguration, and what happens? His face was made radiant. Isn't that right? But these are the messianic prophecies that come first through Isaiah and also through the psalmist. So, Isaiah says, lift up your eyes and look. So, I want to get, just get back to where this is taking us. <laughs> lift up your eyes and look. Isaiah 60 Is the messianic prophecy that I'm saying still needs to be fulfilled? (laughs) This is what he says in in, in verse 4 through 6 They all gather and come to you. Your sons will come from afar, and your daughters will be carried on the arm. Then you will look. So he's got this idea of Zion is going to look, and you will be radiant. It means you will shine out. (laughs) Does that sound like a city set upon a hill that cannot be hid? You will look and be radiant and your heart will tremble and swell with joy because the riches of the sea will be brought to you and the wealth of nations will come to you. Caravans, traffic jams, (laughs) that's what he's talking about. Caravans and camels will cover your land young camels of Midian and Ephah and all from Sheba and will come bearing gold and frankincense and proclaiming the praises of the Lord. When we get the veil off, we're going to become the light that releases this hope to the world, this radiant hope. Psalm says, those who look to him are radiant. So we quote Hebrews, it says, look unto Jesus But the psalmist said, it's so that we can reflect that same light to those who are looking to us. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Don't let the God of this age blind the minds of the unbelieving. Let me read you a scripture that's tied to this, okay? Listen to this in light of what Brother Howard has just ministered to us. 1 John 2, 9. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now so whatever light is it's the opposite of hatred so it's love enlightenment is the ability to love the one who loves his brother lives in the light and, and this is quite a promise. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. If you can love in that way, you're going to lose the trip up. You're going to lose the stumbling. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. And he does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what our mission is until we see our brothers and our love for them as the place where we're going. Is that where we're going? Thank you, Jesus. I mean, that's the definition of being lost. And so we know why John says, this is how we know we've passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. We know where we're going. We all go through things. We all struggle people suffering with cancer in this room and hardships and heartaches and failures and sin and a sin-cursed world none of us are going to escape this we're all going to go through things but he says we're going through it and we know why we're going through it and where we're going in it if we have love for our brothers Love is what redeems suffering and pain and hardship and everything to be valuable, meaningful, added value in the body of Christ. (laughs) And we know that to be the truth. We know that when someone suffers with the right spirit, somehow it's turned into grace. This magical equation where in the body of Christ, meaningless becomes grace. It's, It's incredible. Thank you, Jesus. And so Paul would say this, in the same chapter as you were just quoting, he said, for all things are for your sakes, that the grace abounding through many may abound in thanksgiving unto the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, yet our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then he says in Second Corinthians 1, if we are afflicted, It is for your comfort and salvation. You know, when you are not living for yourself, then everything you're going through is supposed to help somebody else. You know where you're going. The darkness has not blinded your eyes. If you're in pain, you're not in pain for yourself. And if you look at it only in terms of what it's going to give you, there's no answer. But if you can say with Paul, Everything I'm going through is for your sake. If I am afflicted, let the afflicted say in their hearts right now, if I am afflicted, it is for your sakes. Then you say, God, who am I afflicted for? What grace are you going to unlock from my life? Because if I try to solve this equation alone, I am lost. The darkness has blinded my eyes because I'm not living for the love of my brothers and I don't know where I'm going. Someone who's afflicted and doesn't know where they're going is frustrated, anxious, without peace or joy. But someone who is afflicted but knows why and what it's about and where they're going, they can persevere. Amen? We have to know the object. Have you ever said, why is this happening to me? It's happening to release a grace in the body of Christ. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. You notice nothing is for Paul. It's all for those he's trying to love and serve, which accomplishes in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we experience. It accomplishes, it puts in you the same perseverance and patience that we have in us. Because you remember, oh, Paul went through this. Amen. Second Timothy 2, this, for this reason, I endure all things for the sake of God's chosen. How do you get through it, Paul? Because I'm not getting through it for myself. How do you endure all things, Paul? For the sake of God's chosen amen so that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ with eternal glory Romans who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation that's what we're talking about is coming shall trouble or distress tribulation or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword Paul's not saying what, he's not addressing what we will let separate us. He's resolving what he's not gonna let separate us. So he says, who shall? He doesn't say, who can, like some foolish translations render it. He says, who shall? (laughs) That involves my decision. Who can? I don't know. I'll have to wait and see. (laughs) Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? And we get to answer that question. Shall it? Shall distress? Hmm. What about persecution? What about hunger? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? No, 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 no. If we can say no, we can hold on to what God's given us and be the light he's called us to be. As it is written, so now he quotes Psalms, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No! That's his next word, no. No! (laughs) You believe he's trying to say something? No! In all these things, we more than conquer. Amen. There's a resolution in Paul. No,
2: none of it is going to separate us. One thing I shared in the funeral in Montana was from Romans 8. From the past. I read those same passages, but right before that, where it says, "It's familiar to us," but he says that um, all things work together for the good, for those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. And I read in my Bible, there was a, apparently the Greek construction allows for a little different uh, rendering of that. It's in the margin of one of my Bibles and it says, it can be translated to say, in all things, God works together with those who love Him to bring about what is good. And that's something I love that because it so indicates it's not just like God is going to somehow make this turn out to be good for me, but instead, God is going to work together with those who love Him to bring about what is good for those who are called according to His purpose. And what is His purpose? But to demonstrate to the rulers and the powers the manifold wisdom of God through the cross.